0: Hello and welcome to the Dear Future Self podcast with your host, Zoe Longford-Brown. This is a podcast where you get clarity on what you need to do to reach your health and fitness goals without diet culture. It's been almost five years since I founded my coaching business, Zoe Rose Fitness, which specializes in helping women to find their love of exercise and feel the happiest and healthiest they've ever felt. Our mission is to help as many women as we can and provide you with weekly episodes designed to educate, motivate and inspire you to improve your health and well-being. I know through personal experience that this isn't always a straightforward journey, which is why I believe the work comes from looking after your future self. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode of Dear Future Self. This week, we have a guest episode, and I want to welcome a very special guest onto this podcast, Ellen Delaney. Ellen is a yoga and flexibility instructor and co-founder of Repose Online, which provides an online platform that offers the best supplementary training for performance professionals and dedicated hobbyists. Ellen is also a dancer and performer and one half of the Contour Twins UK. Ellen, welcome to the Dear Future Self podcast. How are
1: you? I'm good, Zoe. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the introduction as well.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's so exciting to have you on here. And I should probably mention as well that we had your twin sister on, Catherine. Probably, I'm trying to think of my podcast schedule, but Catherine will probably be on... The week before you. So, when it's out, so you'll have Catherine and then you, which will be lovely. <laughs> Sometimes me and Catherine just say the
1: same thing. So, it'll either be really interesting if we say completely different answers, or
0: your podcast listeners might be like, I've heard this. <laughs> you've got slightly different questions. So, hopefully, it's yeah. So, it's good to have the same vibe, but slightly different. <laughs> I'd like to start off firstly by hearing about your career as a dancer. It's a funny career. The
1: interesting thing about dance is no one has the same path through it, which means when you come out of training, you're kind of like... It's really hard to find your own navigation through it. So mine was quite different. I So I trained at Northern School of Contemporary Dance. And straight after that, I managed to get myself a training contract with Kibbutz Contemporary Dance Company. So that's in Israel, which was amazing because... Initially, that's all I wanted dance to give me, like a chance to see the world and to explore new things. Yeah, managed to get that. I actually injured my knee at the very end of Northern, so there was a bit of a delay, which was a uh, Massive faff. But managed to get myself there and spent about six months in Israel. It was truly amazing. Amazing training. Um, had chances to perform across Israel, choreography, just to actually travel Israel itself, which was amazing. Actually, I lived in a international kibbutz that was a dance kibbutz. So it's a really gorgeous story. Basically, there was a woman who was a dancer. She was Jewish. Unfortunately, she got taken to Auschwitz. And she told herself that if she survived, she would dedicate the rest of her life to dance. And so she survived, left Auschwitz, managed to get herself to Israel, and she created this dance community, which is where the contemporary company kind of transformed. So it's just kept going like that. So everyone, there's your normal people, non dancers as well, but it's a kind of predominantly dance based community there, which is gorgeous. So anyway, lived there for 6 months and then it was actually 20 minutes below the border to Lebanon and the border technically it's not really a border it's a UN placed border called the blue line. So there's a lot of conflict around that. So living in Israel I kind of started to understand their side of the conflict the Arab Israeli conflict and it just sparked a lot of interest in me. So I came back to the UK for about one or two months and actually got myself a job as a dance artist in Lebanon. So I moved to Lebanon and had a year contract there. And I was actually living about, I would say, three hours north of the the blue line, the border to Israel, which is quite funny, really. If you put it into perspective, Zoe, we're probably three hours apart now, And you think of maybe a little bit of cultural difference, not too much, yet the cultural difference of three hours from the border of Israel to Lebanon, absolutely massive. So it was a wonderful experience. In Lebanon, I was teaching, I was performing, but what was very interesting is actually integrating myself into the community so it raised a lot of awareness for me so a lot of like awareness of forced displacement things like that going on so after the year contract I came back to the UK and I did have a bit of a culture shock coming back and I kept trying to do different things with dance and things didn't quite sit right with me there was a lot of I don't know how to explain a kind of self-indulgent dance work out there that I I kept just thinking well who is this helping who is this for and so it kind of got me into a line of dance that I was working with Southpaw Contemporary Dance Company working with community projects which felt so much more needed or useful and a way of giving back and using dance as a tool to help your communities and from that I just started my own work, so I created my own dance company, got funded by Arts Council, we did a lot of like a refugee integration dance workshops and it was it was amazing. Did that for It's hard to judge actually, because this is where we overlapped with COVID. So probably did it for about two, three years. And even with COVID, luckily managed to keep it going as a bit of an online project. So we created a dance documentary, integrating communities with people from Syria, Lebanon, my contacts, is there. We had a resettled Syrian family based in Blackpool now, which was amazing. And the whole thing was just to show how movement, we're all linked by movement. And it's that one thing, no matter how different we are or what different corners of the world we're from, everyone is linked by movement. So we actually studied with our dancers, with our local communities, we studied how we could use cognitive mapping or kinesthetic empathy techniques to help us all be on one level of understanding. So take away language barriers, take away cultural barriers. We were using tools to make sure we could actually all come from a place of understanding without someone having to use words or maybe go into traumatic experiences that they don't want to talk about anymore but we could walk past someone on the street and still be very empathetic and understanding of that person just to integrate to become more as one in our community so that was absolutely amazing and then COVID hit and unfortunately things got really tricky. And that was kind of how I navigated into what I'm
0: doing now. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And what a beautiful story as well, kind of in there when you were, you know, finding your feet in different dance schools or different parts of the world. Like you've been, wow, like the culture shock in all these different places. But it's so nice to hear that that led you to a passion of bringing communities and people together through movement. You know, dance is what's something that, again, is so beautiful and so powerful. But sometimes, it, you, did you go through that transition where you were like, well, "What? what is the meaning of this? Like, why am I doing it if it's just about me? I want it to be about helping people. Was that kind of something? Yeah,
1: yeah it was a massive part. Whilst I was in Lebanon, there were a lot of students that I was teaching that... In Lebanon, you have French speaking, you have Arabic speaking. So I might walk into a studio. No one told me this, by the way, before I got the job. Walked into the studio for the first time to teach my first class, so I was teaching ballet. And they said, just as I walked through the door, oh, by the way, half of them speak Arabic, half of them speak French, no, no one speaks English. Like off you go. And I walked in, I thought, what? Oh my goodness. And I was just so lucky that I was teaching ballet, which is in French. So at least if I said Tondu, they might not know what that represented in ballet, but the French speaking of the studio, of the group, would know it meant to stretch or to straighten. So I just kind of navigated through that. And then by the end, I was kind of teaching little bits of French, little bits of Arabic but spun together to navigate through the studio. But what was my point in this? My point was I very quickly thought for a lot of the students, it wasn't ballet and the technique that they were needing it was more than that there was more layers to that and it was just that that was the tool that I was using to kind of connect with them or to connect them together and to replace a language barrier when coming back to England I did have a massive cultural shock because as you might know or as your listeners might know there is a lot happening in Lebanon all the time. And even whilst I was there, there was a lot of things that did shock me and did kind of, there were elements of fear there. So when I came back and I thought, we live in such a safe lifestyle. There Obviously, there are a lot of things that unfortunately we can witness or be part of here that are terrible. But generally speaking, we aren't seeing these things day to day that you might experience whilst living in different countries. So I think there's a lot we can take for granted. And I don't want to take away from anyone any traumatic experiences or harshnesses of life that they are experiencing here. But as a whole, I think a lot of us would agree it is a safer place to be. And I just felt a complete place of privilege holding on to my British passport thinking I've left Lebanon I have a home to come back to in England but a lot of my friends out there or a lot of the people I was connecting with through dance don't and they can't leave Lebanon it's really hard to leave yeah I just thought whilst I was continuing with little little projects a little performances I just thought there is yeah there's a lot here that <laughs> isn't so useful. Uh, you might agree that there's a kind of, there's a place of elitism. Is that our word? For dance. That you just think, well, what's the point if it's not reaching out to everyone and if it's not there to help people, it's, yeah, it becomes very self-indulgent. I thought, well, what best
0: than to use?
1: If we could all use whatever skills in life we have, dance or whatever skills you've been learning through your life or that your career is in, if we all use that for a place of to help support others rather than just as a kind of propulsion of yourself then I think the world would just be a generally better place, I think, find or navigate through.
0: Wow, yeah.
1: It's a massive thing in the fitness industry that unfortunately people use their skills as a pedestal and use other people as a way to kind of step on. And if we could just shake that up in the fitness industry, my goodness,
0: wouldn't it be a better place? Oh, it'd be wonderful. It would be wonderful that, yeah, that would just change everything. So I guess, did your experience that you had As a dancer and really kind of appreciating all these different cultures and practicing gratitude, did that link into when you first tried yoga and made the decision to train as a yoga instructor? How did that all link in? Oh, yeah, I think it was quite fundamental.
1: So, funnily enough, the first class I had in yoga was at Northern School of Contemporary Dance where I trained and I absolutely hated it. Our yoga instructor was just the most un-yogi character you could think of, he'd walk around, he'd place us in a asana, in a pose. And if you were struggling with this asana, he'd walk past you, look at you over his nose and say, I can't help you. If you weren't in the position... How unyogi is that? And I just thought, this is terrible. I can't do most of these things in this class. They're hard. They hurt my body. And he can't help me. And he just, and I was just like, this is so snooty. What on earth? I don't want to do this. And I was just lucky that whilst in Israel I was reintroduced to yoga from a completely different perspective and it was lovely and it was a journey of self-discovery and no competition you're not looking at other bodies you're just looking at yourself and you're only there to benefit your body you're not there to bring your body pain or to deplete your energy levels you're there to restore yourself and find yourself and I thought Yeah, that sounds a little bit more like what I'd I'd like to discover. So after Lebanon, that's when I managed to, in my year contract, managed to save up all my money and went to India and did my month training, which was incredible. So that was my 200 hours yoga teacher training. And one experience kind of, what I did want to do was learn it from, from the source, they say. So from where it's originated from. As much of a concentrated source as I could find. And it just really shook my whole view of everything. So, funny story, Zoe, when I actually went into India, so I'd never been to India before, and I had my yoga mat on my back, my little rucksack, and I went through, I don't know what you'd call it, immigration at the airport. And you have to tell them why you're there, because as well, I was going for the month. And so they give you a card and you have to write your business while you're there. So I wrote yoga and I handed the business card back, not business card, but the card back into immigration. And they looked at it and they just started laughing and they were like nudging everyone to their side, like pointing at what I'd written. I thought, what have I written? What on earth have I written here? And it only occurred to me as I was leaving the country a month later that it was like entering in England and writing Point of Business happiness or joyfulness on the card because yoga isn't a business out there. It's not a thing you do. It's a lifestyle. It's more than I am there to do a yoga course. Yeah, I understood that then at the end of it, that must have been quite funny for them to read. <laughs> so it just flipped everything upside down. And I think it really made me put into perspective What the Western world sees as yoga or uses it for. And it's not quite accurate in my perspective. And I think, as long as it gives you joy and as long as it's a tool for you to learn and discover, yes, you've nailed it on its head. But if it gives you a drain of your resources, thinking I've got to buy the best leggings out there that are lovely and cost me a £100, or I've got to buy the best yoga mat out there that cost me a £100, then there's something wrong with that. Or if a teacher's telling you I can't help you, <laughs> there's something wrong with that. Or if it makes you feel bad because you can't do your handstands or your headstands, or you don't look like the person in front of you, then there's something wrong. And I thought, When I learned what it really truly is there for, this tool to give you, I thought, there we go. That's another way to help connect with people, to help them. It's just the same that I kind of felt like I was starting to discover with dance, how I can use dance as a tool to integrate communities, to help people, to help individuals. As soon as I started discovering more about yoga, I thought, well, that's exactly what I've been looking for a tool to use. And I think that was a great way for me to kind of be introduced into the fitness industry, because it was a tool because it was there. And also, I'm saying to help others, but it was all about myself as well. It was quite selfish as well. I thought, this is how I am not losing myself. I think um, if you've got dancers listening to this podcast, they'll probably relate when you're just going into auditions, actually take take away the dance industry, interviews, anything. If you find yourself shipping yourself off to auditions and interviews left, right and centre, you start to forget what you are and you start to try to reformat yourself to look or to act like what this audition or interview is looking for. So after a while, you forget what you are and as you've just started to reshape yourself and it does become really draining and you just realize why am I bending over backwards to try and fit the bills of every job description out there and you realize you don't I'm five foot and blonde I didn't fit half of the descriptions of dance jobs advertised out there and it would put me down every time I think I'm not good enough I'm not what they wanted and if you think take away a dance job, interviews, if you get no's, which we get a lot of no's, unless you've been very, very lucky and you've got a lot of yeses, excellent. But if you do come across a lot of no's, you just think, oh, what's the point? I've lost myself, don't know what I'm doing, not finding happiness anymore. So from a selfish level, yoga really helped me there because I thought, why am I trying to be someone else? I might as well learn to be myself even better and help other people do exactly the same and therefore enjoy the skin you're in and enjoy the life at your fingertips.
0: Definitely, definitely. I also really, truly believe that unless you help yourself first, you actually can't help other people. So if you hadn't done that yoga partly for you as well, and partly to have your own experience through it, then you wouldn't be able to share that because you know, anyone that's listening, that's maybe done lots of different yoga practices or had different teachers or maybe be, have done it for different reasons at different point of your life. I know I found yoga because I was like, well, I want to get better at figure skating and apparently you should be doing yoga. So I would go into a class being like, I want to burn X amount of calories I want to sweat as much as possible. I want to be as flexible as possible. And then you just realize you're missing the point completely. So it's really interesting. You're right. You have to come from an authentic point of view don't you someone that's gone
1: through and used it as a tool for themselves it would be like if you are cutting a piece of cake and you're like this spoon is really going to help you I've not tested it myself but this spoon is going to cut you a really good slice of cake and then everyone's trying to do it and they're not really finding it and then you think actually no I've I've found a tool that's called a knife and it's really going to help you (laughs) I think it's maybe that's a good analogy I'm not sure but I like that I think I've found the biggest struggle with teaching yoga is battling against a mindset that isn't going to benefit a yoga class. I have found a lot of clients or students coming to classes or coming to my online training or wherever they discover me, similar mind. And I'm not saying it's a bad mindset. That's quite important. It's not bad to have goals of you know, having a specific look that you want to achieve with your body because of a job or to gain confidence. I wouldn't say that's necessarily a bad thing or burning calories or any of this that is maybe a goal. However, if you're going to a yoga class and uh, wanting cardio... And then, therefore, getting annoyed at the end of a class because you don't feel like you've worked hard enough because you get annoyed because that class hasn't given you the cardio element that you wanted. That's where you're never going to find benefits from a yoga class. Yeah, I would always say it's not a bad thing. It's just how can you get the most out of what you're going to? You might have found yourself, though, as soon as you thought, right, well, for all of your goals with figure skating, to find that somewhere else. And then to go back to yoga and think, what can I get out of yoga? Oh, the build of confidence because I'm going to rediscover my body in a different way. That is going to help you with your figure skating, but from a different perspective. And then you enjoy yourself so much more and you find all these extra benefits and you leave the calorie counting or the cardio or even split goals. You know, that comes part and parcel with yoga, but rather than thinking I'm going to go there for that goal. If you found that from a flexibility class, (laughs) you're going to get more out of it, yeah. And then you flip it on the head and then you you see, yeah, a lot of people saying, you are wrong if you are calorie counting, you are wrong if you are doing this and that and the other. And there's just no right or wrong. There's only different perspectives. There's only different ways of looking at things. So I think it's quite important because I think social media is really bad for that or telling you you've been doing things wrong, because then they'll tell you you need to do it their perspective of the right way. And that's all marketing.
0: Oh, it is completely. And I think everybody will find what's right for them in a time that's right for them. You can't suddenly say to someone going to a class because they want to do the splits. Don't look at it that way, look at it another way. You slowly, like you can slowly guide them and allow them if that's the right thing for them to kind of appreciate. But it is a really difficult thing. And I think that actually the times that I've really really had the best time at yoga is when I've gone with no pressure on my body just to listen to it and just noticing and being like oh this feels more difficult today than normal but not letting myself judge my body for that instead of being like well your hamstrings are too tight why have you allowed them to be too tight you have all this mental chatter don't you going on so it's just listening to your body. And something that I guess for me, the time of recording, I'm pregnant, I'm in my second trimester, my body is incredibly different. And I physically like cannot do what I used to do. And I've tried to do different things that have been pregnancy safe and doing it a bit too much. And then having to call the midwife and go, well, this has happened. And it's like, right, you need to take it, you need to slow it down. And it's like, Wow, I really have to listen to my body, and it's hard. It's really hard.
1: It's so hard. I think a lot of people call it the yogi existential crisis of shifting your mindset of, you know, the no pain, no gain. That might work for a lot of things. But when you're looking at your body, it's just not always the case. Because, yeah, going back to splits, it's just quite an easy reference, isn't it? Let's say for you, Zoe, all that's changing in your body, if you're thinking, right, well, I'm going to just go into the splits. Oh, why can't I do it suddenly? I've got to try harder. I've got to feel more pain because I'm obviously not stretching enough and I need to stretch. Ah, that hurts. But I'm going to keep going instead of, well, I'm going to listen. Okay, hang on a sec. What's the benefits of improving your gait, finding your split? What's the benefits of that? Oh, releasing tension from the lower body, you know, having a focused mindset, all of those different things. And then when you start to just relax, relax, take out the existential crisis of no pain, no gain. And if I'm not trying hard, I'm not going to benefit as much. Take that out. And then just look at, Well, what do I want to do? Loosen up my body, relax, take a moment for me time, listen to focus, do some little gentle exercises. And then after the hour, I might just see if I can do splits. Oh, I'm in splits. But what you gained from it wasn't the skill. Yes, you got there, but that wasn't what you gained. What you gained was looking after your body, finding relaxation, lengthening in the muscles, opening in the the joints. And as a result, you got your splits. But the goal wasn't splits. The goal was to look after your body and voila, things happen on top. I think that's the best way to kind of approach things. I try really hard with this in my classes because also on the other side of it, you do have to sell your classes because that's what pays my rent. So what I found myself doing, Zoe, is... (laughs) Leaning into marketing. So let's say I'm doing a workshop on the weekend. In fact, let's reference my last workshop. So last weekend, I did a headstand workshop. So it was an aerial yoga headstand workshop. I called it Headstand Workshop in Sanskrit because I knew that people were going to skim through things. Oh, headstand, that sounds exciting. I'm going to go to that workshop. So I used it as a way to hook people in as an excitement got everyone in the studio I then said to everyone don't fret if by the end of the class you do not get your headstand because what we're doing is using tools and using variations up to your headstand as a way to benefit the body in blah 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 list of benefits that headstand gives us not just solely using it as I'm gonna complete this impressive skill today. (laughs) And then, which it is, headstand looks pretty impressive. You feel accomplished when you've done it. However, in yoga, that's not why you do a headstand to be impressive for everyone else. You do a headstand because it gives you so much. And then as a result, everyone from the outside goes, hey, that looks pretty cool. But we're not thinking to impress others. We're thinking to build on ourselves. What happens then within the workshop is we'll go through really easy exercises, easy so that the body's confident, the body's relaxed, We're not diving into something that feels hard. That would be terrible as a teacher, wouldn't it? To be like, we're going to do this really hard thing and it's going to feel hard for the whole hour and you're going to feel exhausted by the end and you're probably not even going to achieve it and then you'll feel terrible because you've not achieved something. Flip that on its head. You're going to find all of this really easy. You're going to love it. You're going to enjoy it. And then I actually got everyone in that room who couldn't do a headstand before in a headstand just because they were trying to achieve all the benefits along the way. And as a result, their headstand just came quite naturally to them. And then they all felt so accomplished and achieved. And then they all took pictures because obviously they want to show everyone this impressive skill, which also isn't a bad thing. That was a great thing. But they went into it from the correct mind or sorry, a nice mindset, not correct. There's no correct. There's no incorrect, but a mindset that benefited them and it helped them achieve something.
0: I hope listeners to the podcast
1: will understand what I'm trying to say do you think I'm clear with that
0: yeah no I definitely I think that was a great example and it was also I think sometimes it is it's really about taking that pressure off yourself and not saying to your body you must have done this by the end of this hour workshop it's I'm going to give you all the tools we're going to see how it goes and if you sometimes when you drop that pressure the majority of the time you will get there if you build the tools but for some people it's going to take them a little bit longer And that's okay. So I think it's just knowing that and then you're more likely because at the end of the day, everyone will get there if they show up and be consistent. But sometimes our mindset can be the biggest barrier to that.
1: From a yogi perspective, there's also a bigger picture to all the asanas that we can achieve. The whole point is so that we have a calm, peaceful body, free of distractions, which we could consider as pain or niggles. So for instance, I, to the listeners listening in, I'm sat just cross-legged in this podcast. I'm not sat a chair or anything. I'm just sat cross-legged. This took me a really long time to be able to sit cross-legged for a while because, you know, we don't normally sit cross-legged on the floor, do we? We sit at a chair or, you know, in a seat in the car or whatever. So when I first started really dedicating my practice I'd sit for a minute, (laughs) maybe less, Zoe, less than a minute. I'd get pins and needles, my lower back would ache. I'd get achiness in my shoulders. And therefore, my mind, all that my mind is focusing on is the pain in my body. And I can't think beyond that. So from a bigger perspective, if we can gain a point within our bodies that is free from distraction of niggles and pain so a body that's open easy to move free and easy it means we can actually look beyond physical presence and look into our mental health look into our sleeping qualities and when we look into that it's a whole different ball game it's a whole different kind of view of of ourselves and our health and our happiness it's quite good even if you're not a yogi even if you don't go to yoga practice it's quite good to always reflect that the bigger picture of just our physical presence as well
0: definitely I love that thank you so much for sharing that I want to ask you kind of a change of topic of question now is that you perform with your twin Catherine which is incredible and I would love to know you how you found navigating that relationship between sister performer and co-business owner how do you do it That is quite a funny question.
1: I'm going to take you all the way back. So growing up, me and Catherine just absolutely hated each other. As many of you and many many listeners, if you've got brothers and sisters or just simply best friends that you were with all the time, you'll relate to this so much. When you're with someone constantly growing up, my goodness, you just like, actually, to be fair, many listeners might be going, no, no, I was best friends with my siblings. Fair dues to you guys. But me and Catherine, we did not get on. We argued. First of all, it didn't help that, well, we are identical, we are similar looking, so no one can tell us apart. So that was just loss of identity would drive us insane. Even now, and our aunties and uncles, our grandparents can't tell the difference between us, and it just is infuriating, because we're 27 now. I just turn around to them and I say, you've had 27 years of practice. Quah, we look completely different. Anyway, so we just did not get on. And then we we trained together at Northern. We actually auditioned for different schools. Our aim was to get into different schools, but we both of us just got into Northern. So we both went to Northern. We were in different classes, so that was all right, but still, you know, very linked worlds. We're knowing the same people, and it was just very hard to get on. However, after Northern, we completely split up. We were living in different countries, and it was actually the time where we were like, well, If we don't ring each other, if we don't make an effort, you end up losing your connection. So it made us ring each other. It made us chat about things. We had different things to talk about. We were meeting people who didn't know we were twins. Suddenly, identity uh, found. Maybe a psychologist could read this into a little bit more. But starting to live your own world, your own life a little bit. And so then when I came back, it was just different. We just got on a lot more. Having said that, still sibling rivalries, we still argue. We know we are terrible at communication with each other. I would say we're pretty good with communication, you know, within a a kind of professional manner, but not when it comes to each other. So we are constantly navigating that, especially when we are creating choreography to perform because a lot of it is either... Dancing in exactly this, you know, like in unison in exactly the same way or with contact. So, creating lifts, partner work. So, that, you know, could be really good rehearsal, could be a rehearsal full of arguments. And when we have business meetings for Repose Online, exactly the same. Could be like really, really good because we're on the same wavelength. We know exactly where we're kind of trying to get to, or it could just be clash, clash, clash. So, it is very good for us to, it's quite brutal to see on a very real level how good you are at communicating. Because, you know, when it's with other people, you're trying to impress or you're you're trying to put on a personality. When you're with your (laughs) family or people you're very close to, so for me, my sister Catherine, you don't have all of that that you would put on for other people. So you are Kind of stripped back to your real person, and I'm not that good at communicating. I am very bad at being attacking or being defensive very quickly, and you can see it. And the worst thing is, it's harder to change, isn't it? When it's your sister, because you just end up bickering, and it just like escalates. Whereas with other people, you know, you, you want to keep things level. You wanna... so yeah, it's it's navigating how you would naturally act with your sibling and being professional and respecting that other person why is it that you people you respect more your family your partner best friends why is it that sometimes you treat them the worst isn't it interesting which is terrible so it's really good for me to think well I need to treat these people with the most respect in everything I say and to not be attacking, to not get defensive. I wonder if a lot of your listeners can
0: relate to that. Yeah. I can definitely relate. And thank you for sharing that. I think, well, I grew up with a sibling and I know that relationship. And I think I there's I've got a four-year age gap between me me and my sibling, which I think it always kept things, although we bickered and, you know, argued, but we genuinely got along well. But that's because our lives were different. We weren't doing the same subjects at school. We were in a different period of our lives. You not only look exactly the same, which... (laughs) Also, I had a meeting with both of you and I spoke to you like you were Catherine. And then I thought, I can't believe I've done that. That must be the most annoying because now that I know you both, I can tell you apart like a lot more now. Like you can tell, obviously you you are completely, you were different humans, although you look the same, but I can only as a teenager in particular, that's hard, but it's actually so beautiful that you had your own different separate experiences and that brought you back together and you've created something amazing with that and of course I'm sure you will both still be navigating this relationship forevermore. (laughs) you know you've been able to have that and create such a wonderful thing
1: because of having that time apart I think it does make you really respect what you've or not respect see for the first time what you've got what's that saying what's the saying you don't miss it until you've lost it or The passenger song, everyone knows that. Whatever that saying is, yeah, you don't know something until it's not there anymore. So when we were apart, that's when your ideas come into your head of, well, why didn't we do this before? So then when, yeah, when we're back in the same country now, it's still living in different cities, which is great. Uh, But um, now that we're together again... It's really made us lean into it, we've lent into. We could use this twin act for years. We were trying not, for the choreographers, not to do these cheesy twin things. And now we're like, why don't we lean into it? Because it's fun and actually we can do something quite unique and quite different. And it gives us an earning. We can pay our rent with it. Why wouldn't we do something that's easy? I, always, I do always say, make life as easy as you can for yourself. And if this is fun and easy, and we won't be able to do it forever. We all know performance careers are limited. Yeah. So we can't do it forever. We might as well just lean into it now. But I don't think we could have lent into it and done it if we hadn't been a part to understand
0: what we have. I definitely agree. No, thank you for sharing that. That was lovely. For somebody listening who is struggling with health, fitness, flexibility, and kind of everything in general, what would you say to them?
1: The biggest thing is, and you actually mentioned it before, Zoe. The biggest thing is creating a sustainable practice for you because loads of people will relate to it. I still do it, I'm still a sucker for it. I'll go. Right. I'm going to do the Great North Run which means I'm going to run this many times a week and I'm going to make sure I'm going to run 10k all the time and and I'll be really good for a wave and then I'll come back down the wave and I won't run for about 3 months and and then I'll have to start from square one again. This is for everything. This is I've just pointed out my running here. This is for everything. Bridges, yoga. Sometimes I the only yoga I'm doing is teaching and I'm not doing any of my own practice. And then For a solid month, I'll do my own practice every day. And what I'm trying to say is that's not the way to do it, (laughs) even though I fall into the trap all the time. And this is the same with diets. I'll go through waves of healthy eating, but it's not sustainable. The best thing to do is create something that you know is easy and you can adapt your lifestyle. So it's more of a lifestyle change than a fad that you'll have for a month and then it'll go. So for instance, when I'm flexibility coaching, so when I've got my one-to-ones with each client, I will never ever give them a program that is, you know, written in front of them. This is how many things you've got to do each week. And this is how many times you've got to do it, which by the way, might work for a lot of listeners. But what I have found works for more people, generally speaking, and for a longer period of time, is if I say, I want you to do three stretches maybe even just one stretch every day. Maybe have a goal of three, but know that it's okay if you don't do all three, you only do one. And people listening will go, one stretch a day. That's pathetic. That's not going to get you anywhere. However, if you do that one stretch every morning and every day to a point where you don't even have to think about it anymore. You literally just wake up and you do it without even thinking. And by the way, your cat and your dog does it every day. If you see your dog or your cat wake up, they'll do a downward dog. They'll stretch their arms in front of them. And they'll do that every morning. You don't see them going, right, I'm getting really sore and stiff. That means I'm going to do an hour class three times a week of yoga. (laughs) They do it every day. And that keeps their longevity of life, their body supple. They can run around everything. They never look sore after. I did the three peaks with my dog. Did he look sore the next day? Nope, I couldn't walk for three days after the three weeks And he does a downward dog every morning. I do not do a downward dog every morning. Yet, if I listen to my own advice <laughs> and did a sustainable practice that becomes not a big deal in my head, just one or two stretches every morning, that spun over a year will give you so much more benefit than or so much more progression or change than waves of loads and loads of training for a month and then you've fallen out of it because it's not sustainable it doesn't work with your everyday life and you've gone four months of doing nothing and then you do it again and actually unfortunately that can lead to injury as well so for a better progression and better health it's so much better to yeah make sure you're creating sustainable goals and don't worry if you're listening going actually no i feel like personally if i create a plan i'll stick to it and i'll stick to it for a year and that is amazing if that's you however if it's not you don't worry about it either doesn't mean you're lazy and it doesn't mean i've just said it i've just said oh i'm terrible at this i'm terrible at that it's not a matter of good or bad it's just learning what Works for you. So, I think that is the biggest piece of advice I'd give for someone who's struggling with whatever
0: aspect of their kind of journey to health and well being. I think that is the best advice anyone could have because we always go, right, on Monday, I'm going to be perfect and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And sometimes people, and I know friends and family members have said it to me. And I'm like, no, you're not, though, because she's a bit mean. I wouldn't say that to like a client or anything like that. But I would say, no, you're not, because you're going to end up doing it for a week. Either it's going to be too much. You're going to burn out. It's not going to make you feel good. I was like, why don't you do X, Y, and Z? Oh, yeah, I could do that. But yeah, that, that sounds easier. Right? I could definitely do that. But what if it's not enough? And you're always saying it's not enough. It's like, build on it. Build on it. Make it healthy for you, for your body, for your mind. Make it actually doable.
1: Yeah, because if you're stretching, if you start to integrate one stretch in your morning... After a couple of months, you won't even realize you're doing it. But there you go. That's your that's your life without thinking. And just as you said, you can build on it. Then you do your second stretch. So you're ending up doing two stretches in the morning without thought, without even effort. And then you build it and you got three. Then you build it and then you got four. And then suddenly you've got this lifestyle that is what you were aiming for at the very beginning. Exactly. Without really much thought process. And... You did actually refer back to what we were talking about before, Zoe, with the, I'm not doing enough. That's not good enough. And that's exactly the mindset we want to take. Well, that I feel is going to work against you. I agree. That, yeah. I'm not trying hard enough. I'm not giving enough to my body. I'm not sweating enough. <laughs> it's just not always the case. No pain, no gain. It's not
0: always the case. No, it definitely isn't. Thank you for sharing that, Ellen. Do you have any daily non-negotiables you have for your own self-care? Now, this
1: is probably the only question I thought I'm actually going to have to have a good think about this. What do I do? If anyone's listening to this podcast and they are also instructors or coaches or teachers, maybe project managers, maybe they've got a career where they are every day presenting or talking to others or, yeah, giving presentations or whatever, they might feel what I'm about to say. I feel like I lose myself very quickly to a rhythm of presenting and giving to others. And suddenly I've realized, oh, I do not know what I do anymore. And just you giving me that question, I think, oh, my goodness, what do I do? My days are so rushed off my feet. I'm looking at all my client programs. I'm looking at class plans. I'm just in the moment in the class looking at everyone in my studio. What do I do? And straight away I told myself oh I don't do anything what on earth this is terrible and suddenly I, I was criticizing myself and then I did that for about half an hour thinking oh my goodness I've got to change I don't do anything for myself and then I realized actually hang on let's think about it what do I actually do like let's have a moment to reflect and actually you do quite a lot without you realizing. So, One of my best friends, Steph, she was actually my bridesmaid and she actually has also taught for a pose as well. She does our strength classes for us. She's excellent. (laughs) So I send her a voice note every day. We communicate every day by voice note and it's pretty much been going every day, bar the weekends maybe once in a while, but we'll have voice note maybe for a year every day, which is crazy, isn't it? And then it made me think, I do that without thinking. I'll take Watkins, my little dog, my little fox of a dog. I'll take him for a walk every day. Sometimes I can't, but pretty much every day I'll take him for a walk. Was I thinking about that? No, I wasn't. So I take him for a walk, fresh air. Whilst I'm taking for a walk, I might send a voice note to Steph. I actually might make my own tea. So I make my own masala chai. I brew one of those every day. I make that all the time. It's the little things that you think, what do I do every day? And there, without me going, I can't go a day without that. They're what I do naturally. That has turned into my non-negotiables. So what I'm trying to say is a biggest non-negotiable actually for me is maintaining my relationships, maintaining my relationship with my dog, which people don't often, everyone loves their dog or the cat, by the way. I'm saying dog because I have a dog or whatever strange, like alpaca, maybe <laughs> guinea pig, fish, whatever um, little friend you've got at home. We kind of don't think about that. But every day you are building or maintaining that relationship. Your partners, your clients, people you're working with, you're maintaining that every day. And I have noticed that if I don't have those people around me, I don't have energy. I think I'm one of those people that my energy builds or restores from others. So if I don't do that, I will go into what me and Catherine call the slump. I don't know if she spoke about this. (laughs) And the slump is when I sit on the sofa and I physically can't get up. I can't tell myself to do anything. Won't brush my teeth. I won't wash my face. I'll just go to the fridge whatsoever and then I'll return back to that position. Whereas if I'm maintaining my relationships around me, I don't do that because suddenly I've got energy and I'm motivated and I and I fancy doing things and whatever. So, that for me, yeah, the little things are the non negotiables. As soon as I started thinking about that, I was like, why did I start criticizing myself for not, oh no, I've not, my non negotiables should be this. I should be doing a little bit of my own practice every day. And I don't slap on the wrist. Like, why don't I do that? And
0: actually, I don't know why I was thinking that way. It's that negative look on yourself. Yes, exactly. And I think a lot of people, when I ask this question, they go, oh, I should feel like I have to do, you know, I do my own practice for an hour and I meditate and I do this. And it's like, no, actually, you the things you already do are amazing. I voice note my best friend every day as well, by the way, that is. And it is such an important, it is such an important self-care. Thing. And sometimes I message her going, I'm so sorry. I'm really grumpy. This is a grumpy voice note, but I'm going to feel better for voice noting you. And we always do that for each other. You so. do feel better. Yeah, it's, it do. It's so
1: simple. And so many people listening to this podcast will go, I do that. Or I ring my mum every day. Or my best friends from Lebanon and Israel. I make sure I message them once a month. And that doesn't sound like a lot. But one, one message a month, one voice note. And that makes me feel so much better when I receive theirs as well. So it is, it's the little things. And I could have lied. I could have come on this podcast and go, guys, I do an hour every day. And that's an hour of just splits. Then I do an hour of bridges. And that's how I'm amazing. And it's just a lie. And people do that. Social media, TikToks, they are such liars out there, aren't they? And you can really see it. It's so good to be able to pinpoint when someone's just not telling the truth, because they're there to make you feel bad. They're there to make you go, you're not doing what I'm doing. Therefore, you need to be more like me and you need to sell my products. And it's just so good to be able to see when it's truthful and when it's just there to market. So I think, Zoe, a lot of your posts do make me just see, Zoe, speaking the absolute truth, because you're not trying to sell your way by going, guys, look how amazing I am. And you, you all just are rubbish because you're not doing what I'm doing. So listeners out there, I think it is wise to make sure you go through social media, unfollow those influencers or fitness people or whatever that make you feel like that. Because Zoe, your social media does not make me or anyone feel like that. So yeah. that you, yeah. you can see the truth. And I'm sure you'll do this with all of your clients. But even asking me that question, what are my non-negotiables, made me think about it. I wouldn't think about it otherwise, and I wouldn't self-reflect. So it's little things that you do, Zoe, that is the points that are so beneficial, and I would argue the most beneficial.
0: I agree. Definitely agree with all that. And I think you're doing such beautiful things already for your own self-care, which is amazing. My final question for you, Ellen, is what are you currently doing to look after future Ellen? Another self-reflective question that I wouldn't oh, yeah.
1: that I wouldn't have time for or make myself do otherwise. So thank you so much for this question. Future self, what am I doing? What I've tried to make sure I do is continue studying in no matter what kind of form. And by the way, that could be something as little as like learning a new recipe. <laughs> I've started making soups last month, which is weird because. So I've made all these different soups. By the end of the month, I saw on some on my friend's calendar that was just stuff on their kitchen that it was National Soup Month. What on earth? Oh, you happy? did it already! Weird. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I must have been somehow. Maybe I saw it subconsciously, saw it somewhere. But anyway, but on top of that, in terms of my career, looking looking to future self, I've tried to make sure that I'm always learning because it would be a bad coach or a bad instructor to act as if they know it all and to not value continuing to question your practices. Do you know what I think is a really good sign of a good coach or teacher or whatever, or whatever industry, if they've been preaching something for ages and then preach the complete opposite of what they've been preaching, because it shows that they've learned and they've actually got off their high horse, taken away their ego, and decided oh my goodness I've learned something new that actually is so much better because a lot of people will get stuck in their ways and think no no no, what I've been taught maybe 10 years ago that goes and that's what I'm going to teach that's what I'm going to preach and that's just the bible really and actually we all know there's scientific research going on all the time people thought am I right Zoe when you back in the day people thought having a glass of red
0: wine when you're pregnant every day was going to lead to a healthy birth oh yes i'm sure that was that used to be a thing didn't it
1: imagine if all doctors and i think the same was for smoking maybe i'm lying but there was something with that imagine if all doctors had continued researching discovered the new research that no 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 that's not good but hadn't jumped off their ego to go by the way everyone i was wrong this is what you should be doing now So in the fitness industry, if you see a coach go, I've learned, please come with me on this new journey. Like for instance, let's go something specific, squeezing your glutes in a bridge, quite a controversial topic at the minute, because some people will teach, yes, you need to. Some people will teach, no, it's not good to. Me and Catherine teach from our own research, from our own training, our qualifications, We're teaching no, no squeezing in your glutes. However, if in 10 years time, the research reversed on itself and suddenly went actually new studies have shown this, that and the other, then it's not necessarily bad that we've been teaching that, but it's good to therefore take your body on a different journey. So where I'm going with this is I've always tried to think, how can I keep studying so that I know I am teaching what is up to date of the best of my knowledge as I can. So I'm currently um, starting doing a biomechanics diploma.
0: Oh wow, amazing. Another
1: like a little addition to my bow so that by the end of the year I'll also be a biomechanics coach Mm -hmm. and if I learn things along the way that have been going against what I've been currently teaching, I will take that in my stride and I'm telling myself, do not get stuck on my ego or being fearful of taking everyone with this educational journey. So that's a big thing for looking future self. I just want to keep growing. I just want to keep learning. I'll keep wanting to make sure that everything that I am preaching and telling everyone is as accurate to benefit them as our world of studies Currently is, is proving. Do you know what, Zoe? There's a really good quote that I've actually summarises all of this. The quote is, and sorry, I can't remember who it's from. <laughs> so sorry, listeners, that I can't reference this quote. But the quote is, in an ever expanding universe, if you are to stay still, you're to be left behind. So with this ever expanding universe. You want to make sure you're expanding with it. You want to make sure you're growing with it. Don't get left behind. And it doesn't mean you have to get a doctorate. You don't have to get a PhD to ultimately keep up with the universe. You just need to keep questioning, learn that new soup recipe, keep finding things that make you happy, make you feel joyful, keep discovering the body. The greatest way to tap into finding joy in the world around you is to find joy within your body within your mind first i always say that whatever you do on the mat or in your sessions with zoe or in whatever sessions if you can transcend all the tools from beyond the mat
0: or beyond your
1: your zumba if you can transcend all of those tools into every other aspect of your life then that's how you're just going to get the absolute most joy i think if you can
0: what do i always say at the end of a class i always say
1: with an open body comes an open mind, comes an open lifestyle. But if you start from your body, if you start from your mentality, that's how you can find, find more joy in your body, find more joy in the world. Just keep questioning just keep, and taking the mick out of yourself really, like having a laugh with yourself. If you're too serious with yourself, you'll never question. You'll be hooked on your ego. You'll be too worried about what people think about you and you're not going to expand
0: with the universe. Ellen, thank you so much for sharing that. That was Absolutely wonderful. What I want to quickly finish with is a quick fire round. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to throw some things at you and you just choose which one you prefer. Some of them might be easy, some of them might be difficult, but we will find out. We will find out. Are you ready? Ready. Quick fire with Ellen. Early morning or long lie? <laughs> uh, oh, early morning. Tea or coffee? Tea. Aerial hoop or ballet? Oh gosh, the hoop. Chocolate or crisps?
1: Oh my god! I know this is quick
0: fire on, but these are tricky. Crisps, actually. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Scotland or England? Scotland. Controversial one. Controversial one. I threw that in (laughs) there. I've answered very quick. (laughs) Cold dip or a run? Cold dip. Headstands or handstands? Headstands. Can't do handstands very well at all. (laughs) Night out dancing or night in with Netflix? Oh, blowing heck. These are tricky. Out dancing.
1: But in a a bar, not
0: in a big club. Yeah. (laughs) Just to clarify. (laughs) Final one yoga or dancing?
1: Oh, gosh. Quick fire, quick fire, Ellen. First thing that comes to mind. I would say yoga because. It is essentially if you can take it from a dance perspective. However, you take dance without a yoga perspective, it's not great, in my opinion.
0: Very. Wow. (laughs) That was the hardest bit out of all of this. This... I know. I didn't prep you for it either. So I wanted to put you on the spot. The worst thing is, I'll probably listen to this, get to the quick fire, and go, no, that wasn't, not today. (laughs) I bet they'll change every day, those answers. That's totally okay. It's just a bit of fun to finish off with. Ellen, where can the listeners find you if they want to connect more with your classes, if they want to follow you, where is the best place they can find you?
1: Instagram is probably the best way or the quickest way for me to kind of see messages. So ellendelaney.moves on Instagram, and of course, Repose Online on Instagram. Obviously, Repose Online, managed by me and Catherine. So I'll see your messages there. But if you want to, yeah, get in touch for whatever reason with me specifically moves On my Instagram, you can drop me a message. You can see kind of classes where I teach in the area. So I am based around York at the moment. So you can see where I teach around here. If you're thinking, ah, I live in York, it would be nice to just drop into a little class. But if any, like I just welcome any questions about anything, about anything with yoga, anything with flexibility, specific or unspecific. If anyone just wants like a different opinion or perspective, or just like a real quick question like oh for goodness sake i can't get down to my splits i just want one little tip for me
0: anything i I will welcome that drop me a message that's amazing thank you so so much ellen and i can't wait for everyone to hear this
1: thank you zoe thank you for having
0: me